Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Marvelous Joe. And I'm his twin brother, Johnny DC. And in this episode, we're going to find out who would win in a fight between the Flash villain, The Top, and the Marvel character who's formerly known as The Human Top, now known as Whirlwind. Oh, I didn't know that was his old name. Yeah, it's basically two spinny characters. So this is going to play out like the most epic battle of Beyblades ever or spin fighters, depending on what your generation is. Yeah, this, of course, is in lead up to episode 325 of this podcast, which is a team duel where we're going to find out who's going to win between the Flash's rogues and the X-Men's Brotherhood of Mutants. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to get into that matchup later on this episode where we figure out the character stats and then run them in a thousand Monte Carlo simulations, as well as speculate on how the battle will go. Before that, we're going to break down the comic book movie news to come out this past week, of which we got two DC trailers, basically. There was Shazam! Fury of the Gods official trailer 2 and the Harley Quinn very problematic Valentine's Day special official trailer. As always, we list our segment times in our episode description, so feel free to check out the show notes if you want to skip ahead to a particular topic. And real quick, guys, don't forget to join us on Patreon, where we offer ad-free episodes of the show, you get access to our Discord chat community, and you get access to get our new Infinity Crisis Marvel vs. DC deck-building card game. Check it all out right now at patreon.com slash dynamicduel, which is linked in our show notes. Our lowest dynamic 2-0 tier is only 2 bucks a month. And in our fantastic $4 tier, you get all of that, plus access to our monthly bonus episodes, including blooper reels and top 10 shows, as well as the visual data from our dual episodes at no extra cost. And finally, our X-Force tier, which is 10 bucks a month, gets you all of that, and you get to become an executive producer of the show and help us determine our episode content. Again, visit patreon.com slash dynamicduel and pick a tier that works for you. We want to give a quick shout out to our newest patron, Malachi. Thank you so much for supporting this show. Yeah, hop on over to our Discord server and come chat with us. If any other listeners are interested in supporting the show but not able to join Patreon, please stop by our website, dynamicduel.com, and subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we keep you informed on all things going on with the show and you get free access to the visual data of the results from our latest Duel episode when you sign up and confirm your email. Thanks to everyone who supports us, but with that out of the way... Quick, to the no prize. A no prize is an award that Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Duel No Prize, is a digital award that we post on Instagram and in our newsletter for the person that we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. 
Last week's question, we asked you guys, what's your favorite comic book film that's not based on a Marvel or DC character? And legitimately, this is probably the most quality answers we've ever gotten from any of the questions of the week that we've ever asked in all seven years of doing this podcast. We got so many incredible, amazing answers. It was the hardest time we've ever had picking honorable mentions and winners. Basically, it's just a crapshoot. Yeah, honestly, like all of these answers could win the no prize. But let's go over what we chose as our honorable mentions, starting with CJ Craft, who said, Hey guys, CJ Craft here. My favorite comic book movie not based on a Marvel or DC property would have to be The Crow. I've seen that movie easily over 200 times and can still watch it with a smile on my face. It's really unfortunate we had to lose Brandon Lee in the filming of it, but its performance is iconic and should be remembered forever. It's actually my favorite movie of all time, and it will Yeah, I didn't actually see The Crow until I was an adult. Alex Proyas did a fantastic job adapting that comic book to film. It's absolutely iconic. Did you ever read the comic book? No, I haven't read the whole thing. I flipped through it um, and read some parts of it, but not the whole thing. Yeah, it's just so artistic and uh, so brilliantly made. There's really no other film quite like it. And I remember it put like Alex Proyas at the top of like, every fanboy's wish list for directors for nearly every comic book property that came out subsequently. Even to this day, I I would still love to see Alex Proyas take on another comic book film. Yeah, he doesn't get enough work after Gods of Egypt, and and that's a shame. I would definitely love to see him continue working in Hollywood. The sequels to The Crow were all right, but yeah, this one definitely stands out as one of the better comic book adaptations to come out in the 90s. Yeah, and they keep trying to remake it. It's like, stop. It was done so perfectly. <laughs> there's no need to remake it. That's right. Wasn't the remake going to start Jason Momoa? Yeah. And like, just let the guy be Aquaman or Lobo, you know? <laughs> he right, doesn't right. need to be the crow because Brandon Lee is the crow. Exactly. Our next honorable mention goes to Miggy Matanguian, who said, Hey, what's up, guys? This is Miggy. And my favorite comic book film that is in DC or Marvel is Kick-Ass. Its premise is about a nerd who asks the question, why aren't superheroes in real life? And then goes to become a superhero without any fight training or powers. And I think it's really fun because I never really considered the question, but we learn alongside him why there aren't superheroes in real life. This cast is also really good and it's just a good movie. Yeah, great answer. Kick-Ass is actually produced under a Marvel imprint. And it was one of the very few non-Marvel or DC comic books that I read prior to the film coming out. And I thought the movie did an amazing job of adapting the first arc of Kick-Ass. It really captured that spirit that you got while reading the book of like what it would actually be like to try and be a superhero in the real world and like buy a costume and wear underneath your clothes and like the kick you get out of doing that and then just like going up onto a rooftop and looking over the city and stuff. It was all like real juvenile stuff that gets way out of hand in the comic book. Um, you know, he gets the shit kicked out of him the first yeah. time he tries to save somebody and then he gets yeah. like metal plates in his head and that's like his superpower kind of. It's a great story though. Fantastic adaptation. Aaron Taylor Johnson knocked it out of the park. Matthew Vaughn and Mark Miller go together so well. You know, yeah. not only did they adapt kick-ass together but uh, they also did the kingsman series which was also great yeah that was an answer that brandon estergaard gave but just by luck of the dice it didn't make it to the honorable mentions it could have it could have even won this whole thing like i said these are all great answers but our final honorable mention goes to matt lamb who said hey guys matt lamb here so as soon as y'all asked the question i knew which movie it would be and it's gonna be the rocketeer 
I remember uh, whenever that movie came out in 91, going to see it in theaters and just having a blast. And what's not to love about it? World War II, cocky test pilot, fighting the Nazis with an awesome jetpack and an awesome helmet. All right, guys. Later. And that's a great answer. Like, I loved The Rocketeer when I saw that movie as a kid. The design of the character is just so cool and so retro. It's awesome. Yeah, I think that movie, when we saw that in theaters, we must have been only like five or six years old. I think that started my lifelong passion with Art Deco style because The Rocketeer is like a quintessential Art Deco character. I was actually surprised that that comic book didn't come out until 1982 and it was paying homage to the pulp serials of the 30s and 40s. But it's just a brilliant story. Just a guy with a jetpack battling Nazis with a dope-ass helmet really doesn't get much better than that. Now, I remember after seeing that movie, like every backpack I owned after that also became a jetpack, right? And and (laughs) actually nowadays, I own the Rocketeer helmet and the leather jacket, which is dope as hell. I bought both of them as part of a Halloween costume that I had made. I I made a a jetpack out of like HVAC materials that I bought from Home Depot. It's still the coolest costume I've ever done for Halloween. Great answer, Matt Lamb. Uh, We have so many honorable mentions to get through. There's Calvin John Delamer said, who gave the answer 300. Fucking awesome movie. Great movie. Scott Camacho and Rick McGrew both gave the answer of Spawn, which, you know, doesn't really hold up. But back in the day when we were kids seeing that in theaters, that movie was the shit. It It was was really cool. cool. John Leguizamo as the evil clown. Classic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Colby Hentges gave the answer of Sin City, probably the most masterfully crafted comic book adaptation on this list. It's perfect. It was a flawless adaptation of Frank Miller's comic books. Yeah, that was actually me and my wife's first uh, date was seeing that movie. Great movie. Yeah, I want to watch it again. It definitely holds a special spot in my heart. Brandon Estergaard gave the answer of Kingsman, as we mentioned before. Another awesome, awesome film. And Dustin Balcom gave the answer of the animated TMNT. Probably the best Ninja Turtles movie ever put out, even though it's animated. But that leads into the winner of this week's No Prize, Gil Camacho, who gave the answer of... Hey guys, Gilly Macho here. Sorry I'm a little under the weather, uh, but I'm going to say Ninja Turtles, uh, specifically Ninja Turtles 2, come on, Toka and Razor, from the toys, the TV shows, the costumes. Um, my twin brother and I, every birthday theme we had was always Ninja Turtles, so there's a special place in my heart for it. Even the first two movies today can stand out to the best movies now. I'm going to say Ninja Turtles. Thank you, guys. So why did Gilly win the no prize when I just said that TMNT was probably a better Ninja Turtles film? Well, for several reasons. One of them being that those original Ninja Turtles films, one and two, are still the best that you get in terms of live action. And there's the nostalgia factor. You know, we were also young kids having Ninja Turtle birthday parties. I actually I think the order went Ninja Turtles. Then it was Power Rangers for like a year or two. And then it was like Marvel and DC. We also had Ninja Turtle pajamas, which were dope because they had bandanas that could have easily gone around our neck and strangled us in our sleep. But we didn't give a shit because they were awesome. (laughs) And it was the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) So much fun. Uh, Yeah, I always look back at, you know, the Ninja Turtle phase of my life very fondly. Part one is just so cool. And part two is fun as hell. Man, yeah, just good times. Everybody gave great answers. Gilly, you win this week's no prize. Congrats on that. If you, the listener, want a shot at winning your own no prize, stay tuned to later on this episode when we'll be asking another question of the week.
And now that that's done, on to the news. Okay, this past week, we got the official second trailer for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. I didn't actually expect this trailer to come out until closer to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania came out, considering that that was a film was likely to have this trailer in front of it. But it looks like we got it early, and it was way more action-packed than I thought it was going to be. Like, I really liked the first movie, and I loved the action in that one. The first trailer that we got for this sequel was was pretty decent. We got to learn a little bit more about the villains, the Daughters of Atlas. But in this one, we really get to see the threat that they impose on the Shazam family. Oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It looks like they get the staff of Shazam and are able to essentially strip the heroes of their abilities, which is like, oh, shit, how are the heroes going to beat that? But also these Daughters of Atlas can seemingly control mythic animals because we see a dragon. We see unicorns. I saw a minotaur at one point. A A whole bunch of cool shit here. Yeah, totally. They even have like golden apples that they plant into the ground and it just like creates these like massive roots and stuff like that. It's pretty awesome. It's a very Greek mythological take. Yes. Which is pretty interesting considering that I feel like Shazam has never really delved too deeply into that side of things. It's more like Wonder Woman's realm. Right. But it makes sense considering a lot of the gods that grant Shazam his powers are from the Greek pantheon. Oh, except for Solomon, you know. And I guess Hercules and Mercury are the Roman names of Heracles and Hermes. Right. Bit of trivia there for you. What I also really liked about this trailer is that it still seems to capture the humor that we saw in the first film. And the first film was pretty funny. And Zachary Levi is kind of like Ryan Reynolds in his delivery of his comedy. He's just really good at it. Like I said, there's a lot of action in this trailer. By the end, Shazam is battling a massive dragon, which is pretty cool. But, you know, I kind of wish that was Black Adam or like Mr. Mind, as promised from the end of the first film, you know. It's kind of said that this universe of Shazam is not going to continue, possibly going forward with James Gunn's new universe. Yeah, Dwayne Johnson fucked up big time. He wanted to keep so much distance away from this Shazam franchise. But what we have here is so cool. And I think, too, I've seen that battle between Black Adam and Shazam would have been incredible. I think this trailer just reinforced that so much. Anytime I think about something like that, about like, oh, it would have been so cool if we could have gotten this and now we never will. I just have to remind myself, like, maybe in the future we still will. I don't know. So it's a little bittersweet watching this trailer, but uh, I'm still looking forward to the movie now more than ever because of how cool this trailer was. It was a great trailer. If there was anything to knock about it, I would say the one bad thing was Lucy Liu's performance when she said, we end this now. <laughs> what the heck? Why? That's why? Why would you nitpick I just thought that? it was a bad delivery. I mean, she looks great. I swear she has not aged a day in like 20 years, but her acting has never been all that solid. And I think that pops up here. Okay, well, that's an opinion one could have, I guess, if they were being a nitpicky piece of shit. Gee, (laughs) I I mean, overall, it, it was a fantastic trailer. I agree. Looking forward to it when it comes out on March 17th. So not too far away. Of course, last week, we also got our first trailer for the Harley Quinn, a very problematic Valentine's Day special, which I was not expecting. And it's pretty cool that HBO Max is putting out a special kind of like Marvel does with Disney Plus. What a bunch of copycats. Since when does DC do television specials? Uh, Ever since since Marvel did? Since now. 
quite the trend for DC to follow Marvel in that way. Don't don't even try that. Like for all you know, they were planning this special like long before any of Marvel's specials because it takes a long time to do this animation. Apparently, I doubt that. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> Did you notice that at the beginning of the trailer, it says it's a Max original instead of an HBO Max original? I did not notice that. This is the first time I'm actually seeing them refer to the platform as Max instead of HBO Max. But uh, in this trailer, it looks like a lot of love is in the air. Uh, A lot of interesting couples here, like King Shark and his lady shark friend, Zatanna and the Flash. Looks like Bruce Wayne is in prison, which, you know, is coming off the fallout from season three. We get to see Kite Man and Golden Glider just sharing their love as well as Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy in a way that seems very pornographic, for lack of a better term. I mean, we've seen them get down in the show before after the fact. Like we've never seen from my memory an actual sex scene between the two characters. From what I've heard from critics who have seen this already, the special is Borderline NC-17. Well, I'm over 17, so, you know. There we go. There we go. Yeah, it works. I I don't even worry about it. It's probably just because Poison Ivy gives off pheromones and the pheromones that she gives off during their romp session are so powerful that it makes like the entirety of Gotham start having sex. But that's nothing we haven't seen, like from the orgy scene of the Court of Owls in the last season. You know, there's a lot of nudity there. I I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I'm looking forward to watching it because the Harley Quinn series is really good. It actually just won the Critics' Choice Award for Best Animated Series. The show is hilarious. And well-made. A lot of people aren't watching Harley Quinn, and they should be because it's such a great funhouse mirror version of the DC Universe. Yeah, totally. It looks like this is dropping February 9th, just in time for Valentine's Day. So make sure you check it out. It's not like you're watching a full series. It's just a special. It looks like it's going to be good times. Yeah, our review of the special will actually drop on Valentine's Day. And there you go. There's your Valentine's Day plans right there. Yeah, what better way to spend the day with your loved one than to, uh, you know, kick back, turn on the fireplace, hear Jonathan and I talk about animated Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy getting it on. There you go. There you go. But uh, with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and all of the other couples that we see in this trailer, that brings us to our question of the week. What is your favorite couple from a Marvel or DC film or television series and why? Yeah, we're not talking about general couples from the comics because, you know, there's a lot of established couples in comic books, but we're interested in hearing who you think had the best chemistry performance wise specific to film and television media. Record your answer at dynamicduel.com by clicking on the red microphone button in the bottom right-hand corner, which will prompt you to leave us a voicemail. Your message could be up to 30 seconds long, and don't forget to leave your name in case we include you on the podcast. We'll pick our favorite answer and award that person a Dynamic Duel No Prize that we'll post to Instagram and our email newsletter. Be sure to answer before February 4th. But it looks like that's it for all the news for this episode, so let's go ahead and get into our main event, where we find out who would win in a fight between the Flash villain, The Top, and the Avengers villain, Whirlwind. Alright, the Top versus Whirlwind... As we said at the top of this episode, these are the spinny villains of Marvel and DC. Uh, They're not the only spinny villains, but they're probably the most prominent spinny villains. This particular matchup, I believe, was determined by our executive producers, 
And I thought it was a fantastic idea. I've always been a big fan of Whirlwind ever since, you know, we used to play the Captain America and the Avengers arcade video game at the movie theater. Whirlwind was the very first boss that you would fight within that game. And he was really hard. You know, it was a hard game, but I've always had a kind of like a nostalgic love for the character because of that. Whirlwind hasn't shown up in any like movies or anything, but he should because he's pretty cool. I guess it would be hard to depict him as a badass if he's not allowed to actually slash any people. So I would assume that any movie involving him would have to be like rated R or something. He has a very interesting look that they would need to adapt for live action as well. He kind of looks like a bullet with fins in some instances, (laughs) at least his classic depiction. It's interesting. Well, they've done some pretty good looks for him in some of the cartoons that he's appeared in. Oh, cool. I mean, not that the top has a better look. He's a guy who just wears like striped tights and that's it. The top has the worst, absolute worst costume out of any supervillain I've ever seen. It's it's just stripey footy pajamas, literally. Like they couldn't (laughs) develop a better look for this guy over all these years. It's crazy. Uh, It was the Silver Age. You know, what are you going to do? To this day, though, I mean, Whirlwind was a Silver Age villain, but he looks badass now. Uh, Yeah, no excuse. I have no excuse. But uh, if you've never listened to one of our dual episodes before, the way we determine a winner between these two characters is by running 1000 Monte Carlo simulations using their statistics. A Monte Carlo simulation is a probabilistic model used to determine outcomes through random sampling. And in our case, it randomizes statistics along a normal distribution, which is a bell curve as a way to simulate the many variables that can occur during battle. The stat parameters we use are based on the official Marvel Power Grid, and we use that criteria to extrapolate the DC character's stats. We've included some additional stat categories of our own, such as range, damage potential, versatility, and perception, in order to create a more complete and robust simulation. Running these 1000 simulations gives us a percentage of wins for each character, and we declare the one with the higher percentage to be the ultimate victor, considering that they're more likely to win any given battle. No character ever wins 100% of the time. Comics have shown that there's usually a way for Batman to defeat Superman, and we feel our method falls in line with the precedents that have been established in the comic book stories. And we use this method because it was the least subjective, most unbiased way to determine who would win. Of course, we're both heavily biased toward our respective allegiances, so instead of debating these matches forever, we just let the math decide for us. So there's no fan votes here, and no relying on just feats. Before we run the simulations, though, we like to break down each character's histories and abilities before improvising a scenario on how we imagine one of the 1000 simulations we run would play out beat for beat. And I believe it's my turn to go first with the DC character's backstory. So let me tell you all about the top. Now, Roscoe Dillon was a young boy when he found a toy top in his attic. Though the toy was simple, it became his favorite thing in the whole world above sports, above friends, above anything else. The top was his obsession, or rather tops, plural, which Roscoe played and experimented with every day at the toy factory located in his neighborhood. As he grew to an adult, his life spiraled out of control and he resorted to a life of petty crime. After being imprisoned twice, Roscoe surmised that he needed an angle to be a more successful criminal. And when he was released, he began studying and mastering the physics behind centrifugal and centripetal forces. Practicing his studies on himself, he found that by spinning at high speeds, he activated unused parts of his brain that also operated at high speed, which triggered a telekinetic control over himself that allowed him to spin at high speeds on his own, fast enough to deflect bullets. 
With his increased intelligence, he was also able to craft an array of weaponized tops, which he used in his new criminal pursuits as the top. So he's just a guy who taught himself how to spin real fast? Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. The Tuff's newfound criminal success caught the attention of the Flash, who you can learn more about in our Flash vs. Quicksilver episode. Top proved to be a formidable foe for the Scarlet Speedster, though the hero always managed to come out on top, resulting in the Top continually finding himself at the bottom of a jail cell. The Top achieved newfound success, however, after partnering with fellow Flash rogues, including Captain Cold, who you can learn more about in our Captain Cold vs. Pyro episode. Eventually, Roscoe met and began dating Captain Cold's younger sister, Lisa Snart, a figure skater that Roscoe coached to help her master the pirouette and achieve international acclaim. As Roscoe continued his career as a supervillain, spinning at high speeds, he began unlocking new parts of his brain and increased psychic abilities. In one fateful bout with the Flash, however, these newly activated brain cells were scrambled as they encountered vibrations from the Flash's speed as Roscoe was spinning. The Flash, unwittingly and unintentionally, administered a fatal brain injury to the top that he would succumb to days later, though not before he realized he was dying and planned a scheme that involved blowing up Central City with a series of high-speed bombs shortly after his death. With help from the rogues, the Flash was able to find and disable all of the bombs at the last second. Though Roscoe died, his psychic presence, having grown more and more powerful over the years, survived. When Barry Allen's father Henry Allen was in a car accident that caused his heart to stop for 30 seconds, Roscoe's mind possessed Henry's body, which he used to find the Flash, who Roscoe had deduced was Barry Allen. After failing to possess Barry Allen's body and unable to return to Henry's, Roscoe's mind drifted for about a week until he found another comatose body and used it to wreak havoc on Barry Allen's loved ones, including digging up the body of Barry's then-dead wife, Iris West, to torment him. The Flash enlisted the help of the magic hero Zatanna, who you can learn more about in our Zatanna vs Scarlet Witch episode, to mentally wipe the Flash's alter ego from Roscoe's mind and magically alter his mind to change him from a villain to a hero. It worked, though it wasn't long however, before Roscoe suffered a mental breakdown over the guilt of all of the evil he had done in his life. He began psychically altering his former allies, the rogues, to turn them good over time as well, though he was only successful in affecting Heatwave, Trickster, and the Pied Piper, the latter two of whom you can learn more about in their respective duel episodes against Toad and Songbird. After joining the Flash in a battle against the rogues, the top worked through his guilt by brutally beating the rogues, and when he was confronted by the Flash, Roscoe's broken mind left his body. Years later, Roscoe possessed the mind of Senator Thomas O'Neill, a vice presidential candidate and running mate of C. Jacob Cartwright. Believing he should be president, Roscoe orchestrated an assassination on Cartwright, though his plan was thwarted by the new Flash, Wally West, who you can learn more about in our Flash vs. Speedball episode. As Roscoe attempted to flee with the senator's body, he suffered another mental breakdown, believing he was being attacked by ghostly forms of the rogues. The police found him, wandering incoherently, and he was imprisoned in Iron Heights, a maximum security prison for metahumans. 
Rusko eventually escaped Iron Heights and attempted to rejoin the rogues, but was rejected out of concern for his mental state. Following the events of Identity Crisis, where the superhero and villain community learned that members of the Justice League had been unethically altering the minds of villains for years, Wally West found a note from Barry Allen confessing what he and Zatanna had done to the top's mind and asked him to fix their mistake. At the Flasher's request, Zatanna undid her psychic alteration on the top and, now sane, the top confessed his own psychic alteration on other rogues, soaring to turn them all villainous once again before fleeing. After orchestrating a battle between the rogues and the ones he reformed, the top appeared with his own version of the rogues team, consisting of Flash villains Plunder, Murmur, Tarpit, Girder, and Double Down, all of whom were psychically manipulated to join his team. After getting all of the villains together and undoing everyone's psychic alterations, the top declared himself their leader. After which, Captain Cold froze and shattered him in retaliation for messing with their minds in the first place. In post-Flashpoint continuity, Roscoe Dillon was reimagined as Roscoe Hines, a Tuskegee Airman in World War II who accidentally flew an experimental airplane past the Speed Force barrier where he remained for years, driven insane by isolation, until finding and following the Flash out of the Speed Force and becoming a villain known as Turbine. This Roscoe was eventually killed by Captain Cold in Iron Heights, and the seemingly original Roscoe Dillon returned to continuity as an acolyte of Zoom, who you can learn more about in our Professor Zoom vs. Kang the Conqueror duel episode. Roscoe's past was rewritten, however, so that he gained his super-fast spinning power after being struck by lightning when he was five years old and was too young to control his super speed. Zoom eventually taught him how to use his power, and the top later became a member of the Legion of Zoom. And that's the top's backstory. Powers-wise, the top can telekinetically spin and propel himself at high speeds, allowing him to easily deflect physical attacks while also able to pummel anything in his path. His ability has granted him increased intelligence and the capability to mentally influence or induce vertigo in others. He's also been known to carry an arsenal of trick tops, including ones that emit smoke or snares, project pellets or sound waves, and ones, of course, that explode. Recently, he's been shown to spin at such high speeds that it produces tornadoes and other wind formations. He's also been shown to be mentally unstable. And that's the top. Does the top have like bladed tops? Not that I've seen. No, no. He has a lot of like snare tops and like sticky tops, stuff like that, like net tops, like non-lethal tops. Nothing too lethal. There's like flamethrowers and lasers. The most lethal ones are explosive tops. He once devised a top that was capable of blowing up half the planet. That sounds like a Silver Age story. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I have to say that latter origin of his, where it's more similar to the Flashes, where he's struck by lightning and everything, is a yeah. much better means of gaining his abilities than just, you know, being like, hey, I'm just going to turn around and spin really fast. And then somehow that activates like these cells in my brain. <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I kind of prefer the original origin. Really? I mean, the new one is just like, it's too close to the Flashes. And it's like, why are his powers different from the Flash? Just because he was young and wasn't able to control it? I guess. Well, it's the speed force, but instead of directional, it's rotational. Pretty interesting. Yeah, sure. Whirlwinds is a little bit different. Let me go ahead and tell you all about that character, whose real name is David Cannon. Now, David Cannon was born in Kansas City, Missouri to unknown parents. 
Little is known about his life growing up, save that in his adolescence, his mutant ability developed that allowed him to spin at high speeds. He was a bully as a kid, using his powers to beat up other kids and commit petty thievery. As he got older, he began using his powers in lucrative ways, working as a circus performer, professional wrestler, ice dancer, and speed skater, hustling sports bets. Ice dancer? Yeah, he was performing in, like, ice shows when he got the idea to become the human top. Okay. They both have weird things about their history, okay? Let's not talk about it. (laughs) Overconfident that his powers would let him do whatever he wanted without getting caught, David fashioned a costume with a pointy helmet and called himself the human top. He went on a crime spree, stealing jewelry from department stores, and while the heroes Ant-Man and the Wasp failed to stop him from escaping their first encounter, they later defeated him and had him arrested. And though David would eventually get beaten by other heroes such as Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four, it was Ant-Man and the Wasp that most frequently clashed with him and whom he became obsessed with defeating, particularly the Wasp, whom you can learn more about in our Bumblebee vs. Wasp duel episode. Deciding to take things up a notch, David stopped calling himself the Human Top and changed his outfit and his name to Whirlwind. He took on the fake identity of Charles Matthews and secretly got a job as the Wasp's chauffeur. Gaining access to the Avengers Mansion, he ambushed Ant-Man and the Wasp, but the pair were assisted by the other Avengers present, including fellow mutant speedster Quicksilver, who were able to stop him. Due to his impressive feat of breaking into Avengers Mansion though, David was recruited by Ultron into the second iteration of the supervillain team known as the Masters of Evil, alongside other Avengers foes such as Claw, Radioactive Man, the Melter, and the Black Knight. Though the team was successful in trapping the Avengers, the Black Knight had a change of heart and helped free the heroes, leading to their victory over the supervillains. Other than Ultron, David was the only Masters of Evil member to escape capture, though eventually he'd often regroup with them in subsequent versions of the team. David also became a member of another villain group called the Lethal Legion, which was led by Count Nefaria, though that was all part of Nefaria's scheme to study and recreate his teammates' abilities. Still harboring an unhealthy fixation on the Wasp, David redonned his Charles Matthews persona, again working as her chauffeur. Seeking to inherit the Wasp's family fortune, he tried hitting on her even though she had already married Henry Pym, the original Ant-Man. She rebuffed his advances, causing David to lash out at the Avengers and get defeated again. When Baron Zemo was assembling his fourth iteration of the Masters of Evil, he didn't recruit David as a major player. This caused David to try and prove his worth by getting an upgrade to his suit by the evil genius called the Tinkerer, who outfitted the whirlwind costume with wrist-mounted saw blades. With his dangerous newfound slashing ability, he teamed up with other villains such as the Trapster and Tiger Shark to take on heroes like Captain America, Iron Man, and the West Coast Avengers. Through all of this, David was still obsessed with the Wasp, even hiring prostitutes to dress as her before killing them. Damn, that's ambushed, a little personal. Yeah, it's, it's just fu- it's fucked up. He ambushed Ant-Man and the Wasp again, this time in Las Vegas, but was unsuccessful. He then joined the Thunderbolts for a brief stint before being recruited and given an upgraded suit by the Mandarin in a plot against Iron Man. However, in order to make David and a host of other Iron Man villains comply, the Mandarin implanted bombs in each of them, leading to David's and the others' revolt against Mandarin and his mech army. In another bid to get at Iron Man, David was recruited by the villain Spymaster in a heist to steal Tony Stark's armor from Stark Tower. 
It was a double cross, however, and David ended up being captured and then later fought alongside Iron Man against Spymaster. Later, the villainous scientific organization called Advanced Idea Mechanics, or AIM for short, hired David. AIM's leader, Monica Rappuccini, also known as the Scientist Supreme, falsely convinced David that the Wasp's love for Henry Pym was actually due to nano devices that Pym had implanted in her years ago. And that's why the Wasp was never able to love David. After he captured the Wasp and tried to convince her that they could be together now that Henry Pym was Ultron, the Wasp responded by beating the ever-loving shit out of him. You can learn more about Ultron in our Brainiac vs. Ultron duel episode. Recently, David was confronted by the X-Men for stealing healing items belonging to the new mutant island nation of Krakoa. Though he was offered Krakoan citizenship as a mutant, David declined due to his paranoia that all the mutants living there were going to die on that island. Hmm. Powers-wise, Whirlwind has the mutant ability to rotate his body at superhuman speeds, which he can use for a variety of effects. The centrifugal force caused by spinning can repel most physical forces directed at him and allows him to attack with increased force and speed. Spinning, he can travel like a gyroscope on the ground or alongside walls at speeds around 50 miles per hour, and he can generate lift like a helicopter to carry him up to 120 miles per hour in the air. For his body to withstand these rotational forces, Rollwind has slightly enhanced durability. And because he maintains 360 degrees of constant perception, his reflexes are near instantaneous while spinning. Through this ability, he can manipulate the wind around him for a small tornado effect that he can use offensively to hurl debris or defensively as a wind shield. By spinning his arms, Rollwind can project wind jet streams at his opponents that can either pull them toward him or blast them away. These wind forces are strong enough to lift large automobiles into the air. In addition, Whirlwind equips bladed weapons mounted on his forearms, sometimes shaped like scythes, but classically, and for the purposes of this match, they're spinning buzz saws. He also carries smaller buzz saws on his belt that he can hurl like shuriken in any direction with bullet-like speed. And that's Whirlwind. You think a saw blade could take on a top? Nah, bud. Yeah. They're essentially the same thing, right? But one's a blade and one's just a fucking top, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident. All right. But now that we've got their histories and abilities out of the way, let's speculate on how one of the 1,000 simulated matches will go. The winner is determined by simulations, not the speculation, but it's fun to imagine how this fight could play out. We don't set any rules for this match other than the characters don't know anything about each other going in, except that the other character is a threat that needs to be put down. And we say that they start off about 50 meters apart in an environment that has no bearing on the match itself because we don't take stats for the environment. Plus, certain characters have advantages in some environments over others, and we want these characters to win on their own merits. So let's get into it. The top and whirlwind meet on the battlefield. Who goes first? So Whirlwind is fast, but I don't know if he's top fast. Like this guy keeps up with the flash. So I'm going to say that the top goes first by spinning, of course, in place. Naturally. And as he's spinning, he's going to throw out like two small tops, which zip along the ground toward Whirlwind and explode. They're explosive. Okay, so Whirlwind sees these tops coming at him on the ground. He's just going to fly above that shit. He spins and he flies up into the air above the tops dodging those explosions and then he's going to put his arms forward and then dive bomb the top like a drill spinning and slashing into him with his uh, buzz saws that are on his forearms. 
Okay, but the top is gonna see Whirlwind coming down on him, so he's gonna spin fast enough to generate a gust of wind that's gonna blast up at Whirlwind and just throw him off course, like just enough that Whirlwind ends up diving right into the ground. <laughs> okay. Whirlwind has a helmet, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> uh, he's gonna jump back to his feet and spin around real fast, and he's gonna like throw out like five buzzsaw projectile shuriken that fly right into the top and just slice into him all over. Okay, but with the top's heightened intellect, like he's gonna be able to calculate the trajectory of these buzzsaws flying at him as he's spinning. So he's just gonna like duck and bend around these buzzsaws that are flying around him. And it's just gonna look like they just go through him as he spins. And in retaliation, he's gonna launch a trio of tops at Whirlwind that like circle him and emit electrical discharges that are gonna stun him. So the top launches these trick tops? Yeah. From where? Where does he keep them? From where? I don't, I, I mean, I don't want to know. You know, he wears like a skin tight outfit with no visible pockets. It's probably just best not to think about it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Whirlwind sees these uh, prison wallet tops coming at him <laughs> and uh, he creates a small whirlwind that sweeps these tops up into the air and around like a slingshot and he just sends them right back at Top. So Top is the one who gets electrocuted by his own Tops. So the Top is stunned, and as he's stunned, Whirlwind is gonna shoot a jet stream of wind right at the Top that's gonna lift him up high into the air, and then Whirlwind is gonna stop the jet stream, causing the Top to fall to his death. Okay, except that the Top recovers, you know, while he's in the air, he's just gonna spin really fast and stabilize his fall, like, like a gyroscope. And once he's on the ground, He's gonna start spinning circles around Whirlwind and psychically inducing vertigo in him, okay? This is gonna make Whirlwind okay. sick and you know, as he's doubled over, uh, blowing chunks inside of his own helmet, that's when the top <laughs> is just gonna pummel the shit out of him at super speed. Dude, how is the top gonna induce vertigo in Whirlwind when Whirlwind's superpower is super equilibrium, right? Like, Whirlwind spins, he doesn't get sick from vertigo. How is he gonna do it psychically? Like, the flash spins around too, but the top could still make him sick. Uh, I guess that's true. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so, Rollwind pukes in his helmet. He's getting pummeled by the top's fists. But, you know, he's slightly armored in most cases. So, Rollwind's not in mortal danger, we'll say. In fact, all he has to do, basically, is raise up one of his hands to block the attack. And at that point, you know, one of Top's hands gets sliced right off on uh, one of Whirlwind's arm blades. What? <laughs> okay. Uh, so I guess, like, the environment's now covered in blood that's just being sprayed everywhere. Whoa. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Top, he's not messing around anymore. As he's in pain, he's going to psychically influence Whirlwind to become dazed and docile. And that's going to allow the top to go right up to him and grab Whirlwind's head and just spin it around like a top until it comes right off. End of match. How How is he going to do that if he only has one hand? He has large hands. What? No, he doesn't. He wishes he did. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know? Uh, maybe he like jumps on his shoulders and, and does it with his feet. It, it, it doesn't matter how. What matters is that Whirlwind is going to do nothing to stop him because he's dazed. The match is over. Except that I bet you Whirlwind's helmet blocks against telepathy, just like Magneto's or Juggernaut's. Fucking dumb. Why? Okay. <laughs> is he immune to psychic attacks? Have you read this in the comics? Uh, 
I thought so. Yeah, Whirlwind's <laughs> dead. No, I'm going to say, you know, with all the blood that Top is losing from his stump hand, you know, you said it was like sprayed everywhere. Uh-huh. The dude's going to start losing consciousness. So Top is going to lose his psychic control over Whirlwind, at which point Whirlwind just snaps out of it and then buzz saws right into Top's chest. Match Jeez. over. That's how it ends. That's violent. They're buzz saws. Like, it was going to go there. They're pretty violent. Yeah. Did I say that the top lost a lot of blood because uh, I meant that he didn't? <laughs> we could go ahead and leave the match there. Either the top psychically dazes Whirlwind and then he spins his head off, or the top loses too much blood to take psychic control and then gets a buzz on the chest. We'll go ahead and find out which of these scenarios happens when we input the stats on these characters, run the simulations, and come back with a winner. All right, that was a pretty fun match. I kind of assumed it was going to play out like uh, Spin Fighters or Beyblades, you know? But Whirlwind is really the only one with the blades, so I feel like Top would not want to get close to him whatsoever. No, I tried not to during the speculation. Yeah. Fortunately, both of these guys have plenty of tricks at their disposal to, you know, keep each other at somewhat of a distance. The stats were pretty interesting, I thought. One of the things I did not like was that Jonathan insisted that the top was faster than Whirlwind due to the fact that the top goes up against the Flash. And I don't know how I feel about this. I'm just taking him at his word. I mean, like I said at the beginning of the match, Whirlwind is fast and you even know his exact speed. But I've seen numerous comic panels of the top keeping up with the Flash and even the Flash saying that the top is incredibly fast. So I don't think it's too big of a stretch to say that the top is faster than Whirlwind. Whatever. <laughs> uh, we also said that the top is more intelligent because Whirlwind is kind of a dumb dumb. And the top actually has quite uh, an accomplished list of intelligence feats. Yes. Yeah, actually, that was their biggest discrepancy, the difference in intellect. But that was actually tied, though, also with durability. We said that Whirlwind was much more durable than the top, who, again, really has not too impressive of a costume. We also said that the top was more versatile, considering his mental abilities and his trick tops and gadgets. But in every other category, they were pretty evenly matched. So with all of these stats in consideration, Joseph, who do you think is going to come out on top? I think it's going to be really close. It might be like a coin toss that's going to go in Whirlwind's way. That's my hope. But my guess is I have no idea. Although 60% of our Instagram poll takers said that Whirlwind was going to win. Well, let's see if they're right. I have the results right here. The winner of the matchup between Top and Whirlwind is Top. What? by 58.2%. No! So it wasn't that close. Definitely was not a coin flip. Really? 58? Yes. Compared to 41.8% of wins for Whirlwind, or 418 of the 1,000 matches. I totally thought that Whirlwind was going to have this one. Uh, I'm not going to lie. So did I. Like, I thought that Whirlwind was just going to be way more lethal than the top. But when it came down to it, the top just has a bit more going for him, and Whirlwind is a little bit closer to a one-trick pony than his opponent. I guess when you stop to consider Top's psychic abilities, all the different trick tops he has, and his intelligence over Whirlwind, it kind of makes more sense. I kind of hate this. I like Whirlwind as a villain. I think he looks pretty badass. I think his powers are cool. And the top is just a little bit too dopey for me to uh, take this loss lightly. You just don't top the top. Nah, that was stupid. I hate it. I hate it. 
My childhood just died a little bit. The child that used to play the Captain America and the Avengers arcade game growing up. But I think we should still, one of these days, incorporate a fashion stat. uh, (laughs) Because Top would get negative points there. And Whirlwind would be... Honestly, he's one of the cooler looking villains in all of Marvel. Definitely like the most lethal looking one of them. Yeah. But that does it for this duel. Let us know what you thought about the results by writing to us at dynamicduelpodcast at gmail.com or by visiting us on Instagram or Twitter. You can find links to all of our accounts by checking out our show notes or visiting our website, dynamicduel.com. And on our site, you can also find a link to our Patreon page where you can join our Dynamic 2.0 tier and chat with us fellow listeners, our Fantastic 4 tier, which gets you bonus content each month, or our X-Force tier that makes you an executive producer of this podcast. If you can't join Patreon, you can still support our show by signing up for our e-newsletter, also at dynamicduel.com. In our next episode, we will be doing another duel and another one in lead up to episode 325, where we will be pitting the Flash Rogues against the Brotherhood of Mutants. This time we're going to be pitting the Blob against DC's Ragdoll. Right. Both of these guys are able to kind of like negate, deflect or reflect any physical impact brought on them. You know, Blob is hella strong and durable But Ragdoll is pretty damn smart and evasive, so I think they're going to balance each other out, and it should be exciting to speculate on how that match will go. They're almost like both made out of rubber, so it'll be fun. But that does it for this episode, guys. We want to give a big thanks to our executive producers, Ken Johnson, John Starosky, Zachary Hepburn, Dustin Balcom, Miggy Matanguian, Brandon Estergaard, Nathaniel Wagner, Levi Yaton, Nick Abonto, Austin Wasilowski, AJ Dunkerley, Scott Camacho, and Gil Camacho for helping make this podcast possible. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Up, up, and away, true believers. <laughs>